tough season for all of us. The isolation, the physical distancing, it's been tough to reach out and to connect with those people in our lives. But this Christmas, we're reminded that Jesus came to this world as a divine interruption. He broke into our lives to give us the gift of hope, joy, peace, and love. So we wanna do the same. So we're gonna spread a little hope this Christmas. Come on, let's go. Foothills Hospital. We thought we'd come here and spread a little hope, buy some parking passes for people. It's Man, it's got to be hard to come to the hospital and visit people. So we're just going to do a little bit for them by paying for their parking. But come on, let's go. Whoa, 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 wait. Can I pay for your parking? You sure can. Have you already paid? I want to pay for your parking. Pardon me? I'm paying for your parking. Let's spread a little yes, hope. Yeah. So punch in your stuff and then I'll pay for it. Okay, awesome. Thank you. You betcha. Which is just the best. Can I pay for your parking? Because we're trying to spread some cheer for people. Oh. Is that okay? Yeah. You too, I'm paying for yours too. Oh my God. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. No, you bet. Thanks so much. Oh, you no, you coming to visit someone in the hospital is the amazing thing. This is a little thing. Yeah, you bet. Merry Christmas. Okay, here, let me put my card in. Yes. Yeah, you bet. It's a small thing we could do. I'm going to pay for your parking. Okay, let me do this. It's got to be hard having to come visit someone during this time. And, and so you don't have to make dinner tonight. Thank you very much. Awesome. You bet. You bet. Take care. And pay for your parking there, buddy. Let me pay for it. Just punch in whatever you need. Christmas time, spread a little bit of hope. That's nice because we're here two, three times a week. Have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, you bet. No, you bet. Take care. I'm coming to visit my very sick brother. He's uh, dying from congestive heart failure. Oh. Wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks so much. You betcha. You bet. Take care. You bet. Thank you. I'll pay it forward to you. Yes. Wow, that was pretty cool. Now we're headed to see how our special needs ministry is spreading hope during this season. So we're here at the West Campus and we're going to see what the special needs ministry is doing to spread some hope. Here you go, Dean. Sandra. Hey, sorry to interrupt you. Hi, Hi how are you doing? Good. What are you doing here? Tell me what you're doing here. Well, this is our research team and they are hard at work today creating a kindness kit oh. for youth that are on the street this winter. That is awesome. Yes, we have lots of fun here using our talents and gifts to serve God and to serve others. That's awesome. And, are, and so you're spreading some hope during the season? We certainly are. They're making some encouragement cards here to go along with the items that they're putting into the Awesome. awesome. We have some people busy over here. These are my friends and they're creating some hygiene guides uh, for people in need that include some essential items uh, that they might be missing out on this year. People in this next room, Doug, are creating some food hampers. Okay. Uh, so, oh, wow. They're hard at work here. So tell me, tell me where these food hampers are going. Uh, these food hampers, in partnership with our Compassionate Ministries and the Calgary Food Bank, are going out to Calgarians that are in need, uh, in need this winter of some extra food and some hope. And send spread some hope. That's awesome. Man, that was inspiring. What can you do to spread a little hope? <laughs>
Yeah, wasn't that a great video? Thanks to Doug and Dean and our video team. They always do an incredible job. A greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us watching from here or watching online or from one of our campuses. We are taking a break from the Gospel of Matthew, and this weekend we are starting our Advent series called Divine Interruptions. Now, who would ever deny that our lives have been interrupted? Christmas is going to be very different this year. We're going to find out for the first time how to celebrate Christmas in the midst of a global pandemic. In all probability, it is going to be a low-key affair. No crowded malls, no large family gatherings, no lavish Christmas parties. Everything will look different this year because our lives have been interrupted. The disruption of the norm is causing chaos and anxiety. It is threatening our sense of security. These are challenging times, and I don't want to minimize our sense of loss. But in the grand scheme of things, all of this may not be necessarily bad. Perhaps more than any other year, without the distractions, without the extravagance, without being sidetracked by the frenzy, it will be easier for us to focus our attention on the true message of Christmas. 2,000 years ago, the first Christmas was also an interruption of normalcy, disruption of the predictable course of events. When Jesus, the Son of God, left the glories of heaven to enter into our world, you can call that a divine interruption. Think about it. The people of Israel were facing oppression for a very long time. Under the yoke of one nation after another, they were being crushed, trampled underneath, and the Roman Empire was not willing to ease the pressure. The first Christmas, the history of an entire nation was interrupted. A young couple in love were all set to get married with high hopes and dreams. And suddenly their world caves in because of an unexpected pregnancy. Their plans were interrupted. The town of Bethlehem was caught up in the busyness of preparing for all the people coming to register their names in the census called by the Roman government. The town of David experiences divine interruption as centuries of prophecies and eager anticipation of people converged that night. The shepherds who engaged in a lowly occupation and were looked down by everybody else in the society the people whose lives were consumed with looking after smelly sheep were interrupted all of a sudden in the middle of the night by heavenly hosts. The Magi from the East endured a long, grueling journey of faith because their life was interrupted and someone was trying to get their attention. Once upon a time, 
God interrupted the lives of people because he was unfolding a special story, the greatest story of all, the coming of Jesus Christ into our world to rescue us from the power of sin and death. The interruption was God's invitation to be part of a new story, his story that gives perspective to ours. Now, what if the interruptions that we are seeing in our world today are also an invitation from God to align ourselves with His story, a new script that He is writing? Now, when Jesus interrupted the first century world, He gave them the gifts of hope, joy, peace, and love. And our COVID-affected world desperately need these gifts. For in our world today, hope seems to be far-fetched. Joy has disappeared. Peace has been stolen from us. And love is rare in a socially isolated world. But as we turn to God in the midst of our interruption, God is well able to infuse us with hope, joy, peace, love, all these gifts that we receive only through Jesus. That is our theme for this Christmas season, and we will unpack it in the coming weeks. And in this first message, we're going to look at a psalm of hope in the midst of darkness. It calls us to wait on God, which is what Advent is all about waiting in anticipation for God to come. It is only when we wait patiently we will understand the character of God. It is only when we understand the character of God we can be people of hope. And it's only when we have hope in our heart we can be a beacon of hope to others around us. So the text that we're going to look at today is from Psalm 130. And if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Do you join me in prayer? Even now, Lord, we wait in your presence because we want to hear your voice. There are many voices that are distracting us. I pray that in the midst of this, we will be in tune with your voice. Speak this truth into our lives. Infuse a fresh dose of hope into our hearts. 
We give this time, Lord, to the ministry of your Spirit. Come and speak to us. And we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. There's a question that has dominated the minds of philosophers and theologians for ages. And perhaps this is a question you've asked at some point in your life. What is God really like? Growing up in a Hindu family in India, I had a certain conception of God, but I was wrong. And when I heard about the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, I concluded, if ever there is a God, this has to be His character. The psalmist here in Psalm 130 also raises an implicit question. What is God really like? And it is only when he discovers the character of God that he is filled with hope. We can be people of hope today, no matter our circumstances, if we know what God is really like. The psalm that we read was composed by a person in deep distress. This is a prayer for God's intervention. And in this prayer is also a yearning to know who God really is. The psalmist is down in the dumps as he cries to God for help. So the opening verse in Psalm 130, verse 1, it says, out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. The Hebrew word for depths refers to the bottom of the sea and is figuratively used of chaos. It is dark in the depths of the ocean. Scientists say 1,000 meters under the ocean, almost no light can penetrate. The water is cold and contains very little oxygen. It's called the midnight zone a region of complete darkness. The psalmist is in the midnight zone of life, so to speak, drowning in the deep waters of the ocean. For the Hebrew mind, you can't think of a place worse than that. The Hebrew people were not seafarers, so clearly they disliked the sea. And when they made reference to a dangerous situation, they used ocean and deep waters as figures of speech. The psalmist is facing a situation that's very similar to Jonah's. If you remember, Jonah talks about his drowning experience. And this is what he says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Now, that is how God got Jonah's attention. It was an interruption that Jonah desperately needed in order to realize his own disobedience. So, he took something drastic to bring Jonah back to God. In the same way, the psalmist is also going through a watery grave. He's totally helpless. The Message Bible translates this verse appropriately for our modern-day context. This is what it says. Help 
God, the bottom has fallen out of my life. And from this difficult place, a cry arises to God. This may be one of the reasons God allows interruptions. It is His way of getting our attention. C.S. Lewis wrote those famous words, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, here's something you need to know about pain and suffering. And suffering can either soften your heart and draw you closer to God, or it can have the completely opposite effect. It can harden your heart and take you farther away from Him. So suffering is a catalyst that can move you either towards God or far from Him. You are confronted with a choice. When we are stripped of our self-sufficiency, we have a decision to make. Are we going to do it our way, or are we going to humble ourselves and seek God for His way? And in a world that has been interrupted by COVID, it is a wake-up call to our generation. Are we going to continue in the path of self-reliance, or are we going to take this as an opportunity to lean on God? Overwhelmed by his problems, the psalmist expresses his deep longing for God. You may not be a spiritual person, but when you are devastated by life's challenges, deep inside, even secular people hope that there is a God out there. It makes you go, I wish there is a God who understands what I'm going through right now. Now look at the next verse, the longing of the psalmist. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. In his deep distress, what does the psalmist want in God? What's the character of God that makes most sense in his suffering? The psalmist wants a God who is attentive to his cries. The psalm writer is longing for comfort that comes from knowing God is aware of what he is personally going through. Don't we all crave for that comfort and reassurance in our suffering? In the midst of the pain, we want to know there's someone out there who can identify, who can see what's happening inside my heart, the storm that is raging within. But the last thing you want is a God who is inattentive or indifferent. He doesn't have time for you. He cannot relate with you. He's apathetic to your needs. He's not aware of your pain and is totally immune to your suffering. It doesn't have any effect on him. Such a God is of no use. Such a God can offer no hope. The question is, what is God really like? Is he attentive or indifferent? Well, we will find towards the end of the psalm a clear statement on God's character. So I'll answer these questions when we 
come to the end. Now we will move to the next dilemma that the psalm is raising here. Not only is the psalmist overwhelmed by his problems and in dire straits, but he's also overcome with guilt. It appears that the psalmist has ended up in a mess because of personal sin, maybe a series of unwise decisions, a choice, a conscious choice to walk away from God. Now, held in the bondage of sin, the psalmist sees his heart condition. He's not entirely free, but his actions are subjected to a force called sin. Now, aware of the sinfulness of his heart and being tortured by the guilt within, the psalm writer once again turns to God for help. Now, like suffering, when you are confronted by sin, once again, you have a choice. Are you going to return back to God or are you going to continue walking away from Him? The psalmist decides to look in God's direction. So what is God really like? When we are confronted by our sins, what is His response? Look at verses 3 and 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Now, if God were to be a vengeful being who counts all of our sins and keeps a neat diary or journal of all of our wrongdoings, then we have absolutely no hope. If the character of God is such that He has a hard time forgiving, that even the most righteous people in our midst will be in big-time trouble. For we know our brokenness and shortcomings, that every one of us have fallen short of God's standards. An unforgiving God is of no help, can offer no hope. Deep inside, we all are looking for a God who can forgive because it is the greatest need of our life. What kind of God is He? Is He vengeful or merciful? Is He resentful or forgiving? The psalmist is pondering these questions deeply. Here's the next couple of verses talking about waiting. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in His word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. That little word wait comes five times in these two verses. Overwhelmed by his problems, the psalmist is looking for comfort. Overwhelmed by his sin, the psalmist is looking for forgiveness. What is God really like? Can He provide comfort? Can He offer forgiveness? Now the psalm writer is in a quiet place where he will discover God's true character. That's what interruptions do. They reveal to us that we can't do life on our own, that we can't carry on like before. We need God. Interruptions are opportunities to find out the character of God. 
in the season of waiting, God prepares our hearts to receive this revelation. The eager anticipation of the psalmist for God to come through is being compared to a watchman at the city gate. It was customary in those days for guards to be appointed at the city gate during nighttime. And the job of this person was to keep the city safe when everybody else slept. Now, I did nighttime security work for about a year and a half when we were new here in Canada, so I can fully relate with this. Now, I stayed up all night, and I tell you on all counts, this was a boring job. The only on-the-job excitement was chasing away couples making out in the parking lot at 2 a.m. in the morning. Outside of that, it was mostly dull. And you do all kinds of activities to keep yourself busy. Drink coffee, read books, watch movies. There's only one thing you cannot do, and that is to sleep. So naturally, you keep looking at the clock multiple times during the night. Am I done yet? Is my shift over? Is it time to go home? Is it morning already? Now, in the same way, the psalmist whose life has been interrupted looks up to God, waits eagerly for a revelation of God's character. Waiting is a time of reflection, introspection, a chance to ask, what are the core convictions that undergird our life? And during this time of waiting, we, are, we ask these deep questions. Does God care for me? Is he able to identify with what I'm going through? Will he keep a record of all my sins? And it takes time to process these questions. Now, in the world that we live, fast is good and slow is bad. So we get impatient with waiting. In age of quick fix, we want everything now, instantly, in a flash. But waiting time is not wasted time. For God does a profound, deep work within us in long seasons of waiting. In the spiritual life, waiting is essential. It is a non-negotiable. It is a preparation ground for what God is about to unfold. Waiting is God's crucible of transformation. And when you're waiting, while it may look like nothing is happening on the outside, God is busy at work on the inside. And when we wait, we relinquish control over to God. And that is the hardest thing. When we realize our frailties, that we are simply not in charge, but God is. And this knowledge of God that we gain through seasons of adversity is precious. The psalmist waited on the Word of God. He says in our psalm, on His Word I put my hope. When everything around looks hopeless, God's Word sheds light and offers us perspective. 
So this is what the psalmist did in our contemporary terms. He turned off the television, switched off his cell phone, shut down the laptop, removed himself from social media, and he spends time alone with God and his word. And some of us need to do exactly that. We need to give up on those frivolous things that occupy our time and focus our attention on seeking God. Let me ask you, when was the last time without distractions you sought the Lord and studied His Word diligently for an extended period of time? The season of Advent is all about that. It offers us the privilege of making room in our life for God to come. And instead of feeding on the negativity that are all around us, turn to His Word. His Word contains His promises. His Word contains truth. His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And even when the bottom has fallen out of our life, when you are immersed in God's Word, you will not stumble, you will not fall, but you will discover that God is powerful enough to sustain you. He stays true to His promises. You know, with all the changes that we have seen this year, this crazy year, one thing will never change, it's the character of God. He's a God of mercy who is inclined to our Christ, and He is eager and willing to forgive us of our shortcomings. Psalm 130 doesn't directly refer to Advent, but it is a great Advent psalm, because after a long period of waiting, the psalmist draws conclusion of what God is really like. The psalmist gives us a prophetic picture of the nature and character of God, the God who's revealed through Advent. Look at what he says, verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. If you notice, the psalm started off as an individual prayer, but now it turns into a declaration to the whole community of Israel. See, that is what hope does. It is contagious. And keep in mind, there is no indication here of any change in the psalmist's circumstances. What happened is not a change of circumstance, but a change in perspective because the psalmist has discovered the character of God. What is God really like? First of all, the psalmist says, with the Lord is unfailing love. As we wait patiently, we taste his unfailing love. The word used there is hesed, a powerful word in the Hebrew language that combines two ideas, the idea of love and commitment. Not only is God loving, 
but He is committed, obligated to love us because that is His nature. His love cannot fail. So many doubts assail the psalmist's mind. Is God really attentive? Is He a God of forgiveness? And now the psalmist is assured that God is unfailing in His love. He is faithful to His covenant promises. When we are overwhelmed by our problems, when the bottom falls out of our life, when all hell seems to break loose, when we wait on God, we will discover that His love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out. What is God really like? The next thing the psalmist says is, and in Him is full redemption. When we are enslaved by our sins, when we are tormented by our guilt, God comes across as our Redeemer. There is a distance between us and God because sin has caused a separation. And only God can bridge the gap by extending forgiveness. It's nothing that we can do. So all of Israel waited on the fulfillment of this promise that God will forgive them one day. And that's what verse 8 is all about. It's a promise. Look at verse 8. He himself, God himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So God's people in the old covenant waited patiently for the fulfillment of this covenant promise. And there were times when this promise looked so far-fetched, but they held on to God's Word. And one day, God interrupted that world. He got their attention. He demonstrated His unfailing love and His plan of redemption. But this is what the angel of God says to Joseph, announcing the pregnancy of Mary. Look at Matthew 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angels revealed to Joseph what God is really like. This is the God of Advent. In your deep distress, you need a God who hears your cry, is aware of what you are going through. And Advent reveals to us a God who is with us, who is among us. He doesn't stay in the ivory tower maintaining a safe distance, but this is a God who has bridged the gap. There's nothing you and I will ever go through that He cannot identify with. And when we are consumed by guilt, stricken by our conscience, and we desperately need forgiveness, Know this, God is like Jesus. If you want to know God, then Jesus is His true reflection. And His very name communicates His character. 
that he is a savior and his mission was to save people from their sins. Dietrich Bonhoeffer sat in prison in Nazi Germany during World War II. It was because of his convictions that he had landed up in a prison. Unlike other Lutheran pastors of his time, he refused to place a picture of Hitler on the altar of his church. And his stance on this matter led him to a prison where he had to wait. And during the time, he wrote a letter to his fiancée in which he compared his waiting in prison to the waiting of Advent. This is what Bonhoeffer wrote. Listen to these words. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. Let me read it again. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things, and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. See, there's nothing Bonhoeffer could do to earn his freedom. All he could do was simply wait. The prison door had to be unlocked from the outside. Someone else had to do it. It was not within his power or prerogative. And that is a powerful depiction of Christ coming. For we were in desperate need of redemption, and there's nothing that we could do to earn our way back to God. But the coming of Jesus is good news because God has already opened the prison doors to set us free. And no one has to ever live in bondage because God himself has closed the gap and made a way for us to be reconciled with him. This is news worth celebrating. Hope is infused in our hearts when we discover the character of God that he has acted clearly and decisively in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus gives you hope, this is not just to keep it to yourself, but he wants you to be an agent of hope in this world. So like the psalmist, declare it to the community around you and be a beacon of hope to others. Through practical ways, I challenge you, even this week, demonstrate the hope that you have in Jesus through small acts of kindness to others. I tell you, for many of us, this might be the most important Advent season of our life. I don't know if there will be another time in our age where darkness is looming large, confusion, Stress, fear, and anxiety seems to rise up to the ceiling, and we are surrounded by such doom and gloom. But we have a message that shines brightly, especially in times of darkness. 
That was true 2,000 years ago. It is true today. So we who know God's character, let us confidently share this Christmas hope with those around us.